Hola amigos and welcome to the Add to Houston Amigos podcast, a podcast for young professionals in the marketing and advertising industry who are learning to navigate their early careers. I am Guido Falconi, the host of this fine program, joined today by my co-host, Tina Sang. Tina, uh, thank you. You're the new co one of our new co-hosts, so <laughs> very excited to have you here. And as always, our producer, Jacob D'Antone. Today we are joined by Adam Gross. He is a freelance copywriter. He is also a University of Houston alumni, go Cougs. Uh, and he's an overall cool dude. Adam, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're happy to talk to you. Uh, you know, thanks, thanks for taking time on this fine Sunday. Before we start any of this, we'd like to get to know our, our guests a little bit. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Maybe how you got involved with AAF, uh, the American Advertising Federation, and that too? Yeah, so uh, I first got involved with AAF back when I was in the University of Houston. So Ooh. I originally went to UH as a creative writing major. Hmm. Oh, wow. And yeah. after being involved in that major for a while and you know, kind of looking at the optics of potentially being like a writer and things like that, yeah. I realized that maybe I should probably change my major. <laughs> to give myself a few more options. And I had a friend who was an alumni of the communication school who really recommended yeah. the advertising program. And he was the one that sort of put me on to AAF and all of that. So I transferred over into advertising and then immediately got cool. into contact with, uh, at the time, the president was William. Yeah. Um, I remember him. William Bosar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was yeah. the last thing. Yeah. Cool. Nice so yeah, that's how that started. And then a couple semesters down the line, uh, William left as acting president and Alex took over. And then I came in as his VP first semester. Uh, yeah, Alex Hilu, our current president of our tube. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did you work with them in that rebrand that they did for the, uh, with like the astronauts and stuff when they did the whole rebrand? So I came in like as the creative team was finishing up doing that. Mm. And so I didn't really have a hand in like the actual like visual rebrand or anything like that. But then as um, I came in as VP, yeah. we did sort of have to start learning how to like implement all yeah. that stuff in a way that was like effective and flexible enough for like social media schedules and things like that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that was. Uh... Yeah, and you came in stressed as a VP. So that must have been very difficult. But. Um, you know, from what I heard, I know you did great. And Alex, of course, is a great president, so I'm sure that you were in good hands. Speaking of your, like, major change between, I guess you said marketing and advertising, what ultimately led you choosing the advertising? You know, like, what, what landed? Was it the copywriting skills that you wanted or kind of speak to that? Why advertising? Mainly, I mean, at the time... You know, I was really focused on creative writing, and it was something that I took yeah, really you... seriously. Hmm. Um, but then, you know, the more you learn about the sort of the publishing industry and things like mm -hmm. that, the more you oh. learn that it's not, like, great. <laughs> and so I started just by looking up, like, you know, what other jobs can you get with an English degree? Mm -hmm. And advertising and stuff kept coming up, and then I had a friend who was in that program. And yeah. so I think really what ultimately, like, made me make that decision was just that the UH advertising program had like a really solid reputation. And so I sure figured, does. you know, I didn't want to transfer into a different school 
Oh. And there was this really good advertising program right here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, part of it was, yeah, that, like, I wanted to be able to carry over my creative writing skill set, but I could have done that in other majors, I think. It was yeah. that, and then also just that I was at UH, and the advertising program had a really solid reputation. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just worked out, right? You're like, well, I'm already here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I feel like I, like, for advertising, I liked writing a lot in high school, and, like, was part of the yearbook team or like newspaper editorial but i also felt like i didn't want to go and become an author (laughs) or anything like that so that's interesting right like advertising is a good a good mix you got business you got numbers i'm in the numbers field now so i definitely pivoted away from words but that's cool that you can find something well that was major that was one of the things that sort of made me you know once i got into that program i kind of fell in love with it immediately because yeah yeah, I did get to, like, leverage those creative writing skills, but I also got to do other things, right? Like, it wasn't just sitting at a desk writing 20, yeah. 30 pages a day. You know, there's also strategy, and there's also the numbers and things like that. And so it's good to have that mix, I think. I think it's a little more stimulating and a little less, you know, because when I was a creative writing major, I really would, like, try and write, like, 20-something pages a day, and That's your impressive. brain just feels like a zombie when you're <laughs> done with it, right? You wow. just do the one thing every yeah. day over and over yeah and it's great i love writing but yeah. i think anybody would get bored with that repetition yeah absolutely and i think that's why you see so many authors that you know they'll release four or five books in a series and then never finish the set i think oh yeah george it's R. Martin. like a grueling creatively exhausting thing to do for some people i can't i can't even imagine um but it, it is interesting because i have heard that before about uh for a few people i know that they were like English majors, uh, creative writing majors, um, and they pivoted to to advertising, mostly out of like, well, what else can I do? Like you said, right? What else can I do with the skills that maybe it's more marketable? Um, and it is very different types of writing, right? Uh, you know, copywriting is very different than like writing a book or mm-hmm. writing an essay. Uh, yeah, but so, I think the the core skill set. Yeah is the same though. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, I thought the transition was going to be more difficult, really. But you, you felt but very I mean, comfortable with it? Once you kind of sort of learn the basics, it, it's still down to like really knowing your audience very well yep. and knowing mm. how to speak to them. Yeah, I, absolutely. I also like how in advertising, it's like you have a new client that's like a new mindset, a new challenge, and like how you position yourself in the market. That's something where, you know, write, your writing skills probably um, is a, big advantage when it comes to crafting what your brand is about so that's awesome next question here like you're a relatively recent grad right could you talk a little bit about how the industry differs from what you thought it would be in school it's always interesting to hear about people when they step into you know first few months first year in um your early stage career what you know what were the some of the differences that you notice offhand well I think in a weird way, it was different in all the ways that I think students expect it to be different. So we mm-hmm. go into these classes and, you know, we're putting together these media plans for like mm-hmm. these big, gigantic brands. And you're doing uh, yeah. this like, you know, really comprehensive research stage. And then you're doing this really comprehensive strategy stage. And then, I mean, you know, you do do that in like bigger agencies and stuff like that. But I mean, my first job at I or out of college I was at a much smaller agency that did, you know, like oil yeah. and gas advertising and marketing. And well, it's it's, it's, it's a lot more yeah. bare bones than that. It, yeah. You know, you sort of have to balance, like, what you're getting paid for the project, what mm-hmm. the client is really trying to get out of this project, right? Yeah. 
and then you're like, oh, does this particular project need like a, a two month research phase? Yeah. Probably not, right? Like, you don't get that in the real world. When we're in those classes, I think we all sort of know that we're not going to be like doing like the gigantic full service media plan mm-hmm. for every single client. Yeah, um, absolutely. And some, some projects are going to be more research focused, some projects are going to be more copy focused. But it is still surprising to like see that just because it's something that's taken so seriously, especially at UH, like they take their program very seriously. Yeah. And then you get into like an agency and your boss is like, yeah, we don't care about research for this one. Right. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yes. And it feels almost like taboo, right? Because that's how <laughs> yeah. like college takes it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's, it's real life and you have to juggle the logistics of all of that. Yeah. Sometimes you just get like a couple of days to get something done. It's like, oh, well, yeah, you better figure it out. Those deadlines, uh, man. Yeah. yeah, you, know, you don't have so, a semester. Yeah. Something that I would struggle with, and I think I saw a lot of my, like, classmates and recent grads struggle with, is that, like, you know, that little, like, bit of, like, student perfectionism in your work. Yeah. Is, like, hmm. it's a real strength in college. And then when yes. you get into the real world, you have to, like, learn when to employ that and when to just, like, let it go. Yes, absolutely. And just, like, accept that, like, good is good enough. Yes. Some projects. That's a great takeaway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had to learn that also. It's, it's hard to say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, it is. Uh, and it's absolutely a great, a great takeaway from, from the time. Um, but so, Adam, you have, uh, you worked as a market, marketing coordinator in, in the past. Uh, and I feel like that's one of those titles that just kind of get thrown around and no one really knows what it means. So could you please talk a little bit about what that role entailed and maybe what, maybe what you learned from it, right? Uh, yeah, so I was a marketing coordinator for Celtic Therapeutics, which is a Houston-based biotech company. That's cool. And yeah, it is. I think it's deliberately like a catch-all term, right? It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to do everything related to <laughs> kind of the public appearance. So a marketing yeah. coordinator leaves with Celtic was, you know, you handled PR, you handled advertising, and you handled like marketing initiatives, you handled specials, things like that. Oh yeah. Um, and then you would kind of where it got really nebulous was when you like bumped up into like other departments. Like, so we had a uh, client services department and then we had a marketing department. We didn't have a sales department. And so it was always kind of weird to decide of those two departments where marketing side of the sales cycle and client services side of the sales cycle traded off. Right. That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it really was just like everything. Yeah. It sounds like it. Not only was I doing copywriting, I was also, you know, doing strategy, scheduling, <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. logistics, um, but also, like, kind of helping out with, like, low-level graphic design and things like that, just because oh, in-house, I feel yeah. like it is just kind of like, even if that's not necessarily what you went to school for, you do what you got to do, you get the work done. Yeah, it actually really kind of blows my mind that there was no sales department, because I feel like I've been, I work in places where there was just no marketing department, mm-hmm. but I feel like there was always a sales department. Always pushing for new sales right? at some yeah. point. <laughs> but That's really interesting. Yeah. It, it feels like it must have been quite a bit of a undertaking to try to figure out what your role actually is at times. Yeah, and I think especially with small companies, you, you run into weird little things like that all the time. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. how does this company not have this department? And I think it's just because, you know, so many companies are made in a very chaotic process, right? Yeah. Where it's like you started with like two people 
Yeah. One person did 90% of the stuff that needed to be done yeah. client side and the other person dealt with investors. And then <laughs> they just, you know, it's, it's not like a planned expansion, right? And then you get into yeah. this company that's been going for 10, 20 years and it has all of these weird things about <laughs> its like structure that were just, that was just the decision that was made at the time when there was only three people working there, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. Yeah, it's, I can't, I mean, I've never worked with an upstart company like that, but I cannot even imagine. I would be, I would feel so, I would just all over the place. I'm curious, do you have a piece of advice that you would give someone if they were going to work in like a startup environment that you kind of went through? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say Celsius was a startup environment. Uh, mm-hmm. New in that like it was only like 20-ish, probably less than 20-ish years old, but it was still like an established company. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, I mean, it kind of just goes back to what I was saying. Like things are going to be kind of weird and yeah. whose job it is to do what is going to be kind of nebulous. Mm-hmm. But if you're at the start of it, it it helps to think, how is this system going to work in the long term, right? Mm, to sort no. of maybe avoid some of those problems of like, you know, you're 20 years in and you've got like thousands of clients, but you don't have a sales department, right? And so then you have like marketing and client services trying to trade off sales duties and things like that. That's Because maybe you only have like one client services in the first few years and they just did everything. Yeah. So it's good to sort of think ahead and be like, all right, well, what happens when this like expands? Yeah. How does the company need to be structured like that? I feel like you learned a lot probably as your first (laughs) role, (laughs) juggling a lot. It sounded like as a marketing coordinator. Yeah. And I think it's weird. I think one of the big pieces of advice you get leaving college from your professors is that agencies are where you go to sort of learn this like diverse skill set. And I'm like, I'm not, sure that that's necessarily the case all the time like i think agencies are where you go to learn a specific skill set very very comprehensively because they delegate roles like that a lot better absolutely but if you're in-house you're going to be wearing a lot of hats that's what they say in the interview right (laughs) (laughs) you wear a lot of hats here that means you're going to do everything yes absolutely yes that's the that's the catch-all term for that um well, you already kind of wove yourself into the second question that I was going to ask you about. You worked in the agency side before going to in-house. You know, there's certainly differences and similarities of those experiences. But, like, I guess this is there's no wrong answer here because it's more so, like, what's your personal opinion? What kind of what, – what do you like more as Adam? Like, do you like the agency side or um, kind of going more in-house? I mean, both have their pros and their cons, right? Because, I mean – it's not like I was working at my agency job and was like loving every day, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> nobody has that. But it's not job. like I was I mean, working I at my in-house job yeah. and loving every day either. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, yeah. some days you're like, man, I really wish I could go back to agency, and then some days you're like, <laughs> man, I'm so glad that I'm not in an agency anymore. As far as like sort of which ones to prefer, mm-hmm. I think it really depends on where you're at in your career. So I think it was really good for me to work like the first year or so at that smaller agency yeah, just because it, it exposes you not just to, you know, juggling multiple clients at a time, which yeah. I do think is like a, a dynamic that does take some getting used to. Absolutely. It does like help you grow your network, which is really important yeah. for this kind uh, of industry. Yeah. Um, as much as I think everybody's sort of like, especially creatives, I think like we're like, well, I didn't, 
you know, I didn't get into advertising to be this like business networking guru, but it's like part of the industry and it's easier than you think, especially if you work in an agency. All those introverted creatives (laughs) suddenly realize they have to like talk to people. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no, I get it. It's rough. But you know, like my first year in with that agency was a very small agency. And so it became kind of clear that I had kind of gotten all that I could out of that because I had been working for them, you know, before mm-hmm. I had left college too for some time. Oh. And then in house was good. Um, like I said, it it helped you adapt to doing a million things at the same time and kind of like yeah. keeping everything organized, but also like it helps you develop the ability to think about projects from the top down. Right. So I think when you're in an agency and it's like your role is just copywriter. Yeah. Yeah. You have some idea of like what the strategy department's thinking and what the design department is thinking. But when you have to do all of those things at the same time, when you're writing your copy, you learn <laughs> to think like, well, what's the strategy? <laughs> going to think about this and what's the designer going to think about this because you are also the strategy person and you are mm-hmm. also the designer but I think the trade-off for there is less job growth opportunity unless you're working at like you know like a big gigantic <laughs> fortune 500 company most marketing departments are really really small yeah yeah and so that was sort of you know I love sales tech it was great I love the people that work there but there were two people in the marketing department right mm-hmm. jeez yeah and so it was like, well, there's really nowhere for me to go from here, right? Yeah. And so, interesting. you know, yeah. it just depends on where you're at. I think both benefit you at different points in your career, but the real important part is to recognize when it's no longer benefiting you, and it might be time to sort of consider going somewhere else. Yeah, I think people sometimes also bounce around, too, from agency in-house, and they're like, oh, maybe I want the hustle again, working yeah. at an agency. Uh, um, yeah, absolutely. And- um, I've done both too. Um, I work for a big company now, so we have like a few more like more resources than I had before. And um, I feel like for my the, the way I work and the way that I am working in house just made more sense because it's more defined roles, at least where I am in, co- in corporate. Um, when I work in you know in a agency it was a bit different it was more specialized um whereas now i get to do a bit of a bit of strategy a, a bit of writing a bit of design um obviously i'm the big designs we have someone for that but anything that's easy to do i just crank it out um do you do you adam like you know maybe you don't have an answer for this yet uh but knowing the type of work that, that you do you knowing the type of person you are do you think that one of them just uh, fits you better? Or do you think that it just really depends on, like, the actual place? Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of a cop-out to say it sort of depends on where you're at. But, <laughs> okay, sure, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it does. Because, like, right now I'm looking specifically for agency jobs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to get back Because I think, probably something I should have mentioned earlier in talking about the pros and cons of each, mm-hmm. in-house is great for having a lot of like agency in what you do when there's only two people in the marketing department, <laughs> you get to make a lot of the decisions. Right. And that's great. Mm-hmm. It also means that there's nobody to like learn off of, right? Like you're the yeah, expert in that role. A hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I, I missed having 
the senior copywriter or <laughs> something yeah. like that. So like, you know, bounce ideas off of and learn from more than I thought I would. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say like currently, like where I'm at in my career right now, I think agency fits me better because I think I'm still makes wanting sense. to learn and like learn yeah. from others. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of hard to get in house a lot of times. That makes sense, especially for this industry. And uh, finding a mentor of sorts or, you know, someone to look up to. Exactly. I think um, one of your statements earlier, Adam, that you were talking about, like whenever you're early on in your career, just kind of got out. Agency is kind of the way to go. And I that resonated with me because that's kind of how I started as well. Just working at multiple agencies and learning really quickly, as well as just, you know, just drinking from the fire hose, as some people might say, um, since, you know, you're working with people like, right next to you in that same role in that senior position like you're talking about um that certainly helps you grow faster versus like trying to figure it all out while you're like you know one of a two-person team um great that you do have that agency but again it's like you want to learn quicker when you're very young in your career um so that you can kind of build off that experience and yeah stuck around for like five six years in agency and then now i'm like i'm gonna go do my own thing because you then kind of learn um what to do and what not to do in those few years in your early career is so pivotal in learning very quickly. Yeah. And I think another thing, and I think this is something that actually was a big part of my decision to leave Celtex and start looking at agency work is that hmm. I think something that we don't consider in this discussion is just that on a resume for an employer, mm -hmm. agency years and in-house years are very different things. Oh yeah. Could right? be, yeah. Never thought about that. Um, but yeah. So mm -hmm. one of the things I was thinking about was well, you know, if I want to go back and like get my graduate degree at any point, mm -hmm. I don't want to be out of the job market for two years and then come back and only have one mm. year of agency experience on my resume. Right. 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 Makes sense. Because um, I think that really does sort of like limit your options in a way. I can't speak for in house employers completely, but I'm willing to bet that agencies are less likely to value in-house years of experience than in-house mm. hirers are to value agency years of experience. That's a good, that's a good thought. That, that kind of makes sense to me too. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I think it's, it's good to like keep that in mind when you're, you're making your decision. And I mean, obviously for some people, agency life just isn't for them. That's perfectly understandable. Yeah. But you know, um, it's also good to keep in mind, like, how it measures into your sort of work experience equation. So, Adam, we talked a little bit about now agency working in-house, you know, and you have some amazing, I think, amazing ideas there and really a lot for me to think about, too, myself. But I want to touch a little bit on the freelance aspect of, of the industry, and, and I know that you do, and, you know, you mentioned that before. So, um, why may you decide to do freelance, right? Like, Sure, you work for for uh, for an agency, and I believe that was uh, Dylan Moore's agency, friend of the mm -hmm. friend of the pod. Um, so, but you also did freelance copywriting, right? So, what led you to 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 do that? And uh, maybe you know what what did you learn uh, from the industry doing some freelancing? What's weird about freelancing is, and this may just be a product of like living in a city like Houston, where there's a lot of advertising work to be done. Yeah. I thought finding freelancing work would be more difficult, but it felt like as I was like a senior in advertising, 
I guess I had like unknowingly built my network very well and Good. people just would be like, Hey, I know somebody who needs a copywriter to do this. And so starting out a lot of freelance work just sort of fell in my lap and I was a student, I was young and I wanted to impress and build out my work experience. Yeah. So I said yes to everything. But now that I've been doing that for a couple of years, I think one of the main things I've learned about freelance is that like it's okay to pass on some of those yeah. opportunities, especially working in-house for self-hex and being like on the other side of like working with freelancers. I oh, noticed yeah. that I think everybody that's ever hired a freelancer has at least one story of like being burned by a freelancer, you know, like somebody who you reached out, seemed like they were a great fit and then you gave them the job and then you just never heard back from them. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's no so, good. There's two lessons there, I think, for freelancers. The first is that you need to stand out as like a quality, like reliable freelancer, be communicative, deliver things on time, be reliable, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're those three things and you do the job well, you're probably going to hear back from that person again next time they need a freelancer because you really never know what you're going to get when you're looking to hire a freelancer a lot of the time. Yeah. The flip of that is, I think the reason a lot of freelancers do end up like not being super reliable and kind of like petering out and taking a really long time to get back to clients and stuff is because they are burnt out and they yeah. accepted projects that they really weren't interested in, but they felt sort of like had to because money's money. Yeah. Right. And I've certainly been on that other end where I've taken on too many freelance projects and then I just get super burnt out and I feel like it negatively affects the quality quality of my work. And so I think one of the things that I've sort of had to teach myself recently is that like if I don't if I'm not gonna starve if I don't take this next project and I'm just like really don't want to add that extra workload on top of my day to day life. Yeah. It's okay to pass on that, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you only have like so many hours in a day to actually work <laughs> on top of exactly. sleep and do everything, right? Yeah. So you have to be selective uh -huh. uh, in who you choose to work with. And also, I, I relate to this as well. I mean, even if you pass on that opportunity, there's like, if you have other copywriting friends, you can refer them and kind of grow your network. So it's like, it all comes back around. Exactly. So exactly. yeah, no worries on, on that piece. And it's good that you have a healthy amount of clients drinking from your well. Yeah. But then, you know, of course, I think the big, you know, the bigger piece of advice there is when you do accept a piece of work, like commit to it mm -hmm. and understand that that how you impress that client is going to have ripple effects throughout your whole network. Right. Usually with freelancing, you know, it's not like the client approached you directly. It's usually someone from your network yeah. that wasn't a copywriter or whatever. was like, oh, was talking to this client, and they're like, oh, I know a copywriter. Mm -hmm. I'll connect you with them, right? So it's important to remember that if you do say, like, yes, that, like, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get in touch with the client, if you then, you know, are, like, unreliable, and you end up, like, ghosting the client or something like that, it doesn't just look bad on you, it looks bad on the people that referred you, and exactly. they're going to remember that, and they're going to refer people to you less. Mm -hmm. So when you do take a project, like, commit to it and do it, and do it well. Yeah, Very I definitely, wise. definitely agree. Um, you know, freelancing, it, it's great if you have the time, if you have, you know, the network for it. Um, I used to do a lot more of it, but I was getting burnt out because I did too much. So now I just, I have a few people that I work with when they need me. 
right? Um, mm -hmm. Because also, I was like, well, I don't really need this. I mean, extra money is great, right? But if you really depends how much you make, but um, but you know, it's also great because you get to some, you know, you get to choose what you want to work on, right? When you work on an in-house or even, uh, you know, the, the, uh, oh my God, an agency, Jesus, you, you don't really get to choose, right? You're just given projects and like, Hey, do this. Whereas when you, when you're freelancing, you can be a little more picky about who you work with and, you know, maybe you want to take on some, some things that are more fun to you or some things that maybe are more challenging and you want to try to do as opposed to just being told, hey, take care of this, you know. So I, I very much understand the, the appeal of it, and I'm glad that you're doing well with it. Do you have any tips um, for anyone who might think about, maybe they want to dip their toes into freelancing, you know, like, should they join like an AAF, like an ad to build their network? Just me shameless plugging um, our organization. In. You know, right. Is that 100%. number one? Right. Yeah. You get to meet some yeah, interesting I, people. Yeah. yeah. Join those organizations, offer to work with people in those organizations. I think it, it's a slippery slope though. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. on one hand, yeah. add to AAF, they're amazing. I think like I wouldn't have gotten any of the jobs that I got out of college <laughs> without those connections. When you're first starting, the way that you build that network that will eventually turn into freelance opportunities or passively coming your way is to do volunteer work with the people in those projects, right? It's great when you're first starting out. Um, one of the things that I think uh, I find myself warning hmm. people who are in AF and ADTU and they're sort of, you know, they've, they've graduated, they have their job and stuff. I'm like, it's amazing that you want to help these companies. At a certain point, you need to like, you don't have to stop doing work for free because it's always great to like build up that network. Don't do as much of it. Oh, <laughs> <know>? yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think some people get sort of stuck in this cycle of there's a guy that will do the work for free. And it's like you end up doing work for free that in cases like if you had just sent them an invoice, they probably would have paid you. Mm-hmm. Which is just a roundabout way of saying, like, join those organizations, take a couple of, like, those volunteer projects that I promise you will come up under your belt, build a good working relationship with the other people involved in that project, and then, you know, move on. Do what you got to do, but also... Um, you have bills to pay. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again? And so you have bills to pay, so you still have to charge them. Yeah, like you you have bills to pay, and also it goes back to that whole like don't burn yourself out, right? If you were exactly taking on fourteen freelance clients, and then you're also taking on five free clients, right? Right. You're exactly. tired, and I mean, some people can do that. I, the president of Ad Two, Alex, I I'm convinced he has more hours in the day than everybody else <laughs> yeah, on the planet. He doesn't even drink coffee. The sheer volume of work that he produces. Yeah. Uh -huh. Funny. Yeah, he he's, he's a special. Good. He's a special. Uh, yeah, he, he's different. I don't know how he does it. I think he stops time. He might have those like time turners from like Harry Potter, where you just like turn back time and just have extra yeah. hours in the day. I think he's, he's doing something. He lives in slow motion. I think. Oh, uh, see, that would work. <laughs> I remember he, he used to. We used to work together back at. Um, oh, yeah. Back when I was working with Dylan Moore. Yeah, and he used to tell me he would watch while he was working. He would watch shows on like double or triple speed. 
Wow. Yeah, that's to intense, get through yeah. them quicker. And I was oh, like, yeah. do you just is everything just in slow motion for you? Is that how you get everything <laughs> done so quickly? Yes. I mean I have I know people who listen to like podcasts at double speed, but I feel like a show like you gotta be able to see what's happening. Right? I'm the same it's way. visual. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. yeah, like a podcast, maybe, but yeah, no. I, I don't know. I, I, I watch I watch baseball when I work. That's okay. very different. That's a very slow motion game. <laughs> Um, no, but yeah, that's, that, that's perfectly fine. I mean, the, yeah, do not burn yourself out. Definitely this, you know, a lot about to a lot of AAF, uh, but there needs to be, you need to be able to have healthy boundaries, boundaries right? There you go. And at some point you need to say, Hey, I can't do this. And, and that's fine. Someone yeah. else will help. Um, but like you said, Adam, you know, make sure you have a good relationship with these people and. That they know you and that they know they can trust in you, right? Not necessarily that they can abuse you, but that you are reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the the other side of that is when you actually get into doing the freelance work and stuff, I think the, the big point of anxiety for a lot of, like, new people is, yeah. like, the pricing stage. Oh, yeah. We... Mm-hmm. And I, I, to that, I would say you, you got to be confident and, like, understand what your work is worth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, when you're just starting out and you really don't know what it's worth, don't be afraid to ask some of the people and add to an AAF, like, hey, how would you price this? Yep. But then Absolutely. when you've got what you're pretty sure is a fair price, send them the invoice. Don't be like, would it be okay if I did this, this, and this? Yeah. Uh, send them what your your time is worth and don't be afraid to, you know, just because you did a project or a similar project for 25 an hour at one point yeah, doesn't mean that you can't do a similar project Two years later, for thirty an hour, another point. You know what I mean? Don't be yeah. afraid to raise your prices. Oh yeah, inflation is a thing. An experience. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> It'll be like double it, yeah, like, whatever that was. Double it. Yeah. Inflation costs. So, yeah, I need to buy some eggs. You know how expensive <laughs> those are right now. Yeah. Um, and then a, yeah. another point to that, and I think that some people probably disagree with me here. I think it's one of the the points that uh, my yeah. other freelance friends kind of think is kind of weird. Uh, don't be afraid to price per deliverable instead of by hour mm-hmm. oh yeah I've some clients that they're used to by hour might see that that's a little weird but i think especially with something like copywriting where i think a lot of the time just like the hourly rate doesn't really affect or like the amount of hours spent on it doesn't necessarily reflect mm. the expertise and the research and stuff that goes into that ahead of time yeah you know i can I mean? see that yeah um, well, I mean, you know, I, I was actually going to ask you some more about freelancing, uh, but, you know, you gave some great answers. This is a thing that we come back to a lot on this podcast. Whenever we talk about freelancing is, uh, like you said, know your worth. I get it. When you're young, you're starting, maybe you're, you have a, like a low, you know, you're not charging a lot because you, you know, you don't have that experience. Um, but if you continue to undervalue your skills, that only hurts everyone. Right mm-hmm. then, you know, the if if you're only char- you know if you're charging very low prices, that's hurting the rest of 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 the freelancers, because you know why would somebody go to them when they can come to you, right? Uh, and then you're hurting yourself because you're leaving money on the table. Uh, your your work, your experience is worth something. Like you didn't get to where you are overnight. So yes, when you're starting, sure your your prices might be a little lower, but as you gain that experience, you need those prices need to come up to reflect that. And it also makes you, you know, makes you look a little more legitimate, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, and like I said, well, and I think it has a, a momentum, like yeah. Effect. And I think this could be said for um, how you negotiate salary at companies. Too. Absolutely, so, yeah. The more you undervalue yourself at the start, yep. the harder it's going to be to build your your salary or yeah. your hourly rate back up. Exactly to what it should have been in the first place. Yeah, and you're not you're not gonna work somewhere for like five years and not expect a raise. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's yeah. why I jumped so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one way to do it. I, All right. Too lazy to jump around. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure if we should get into that whole podcast. That's, that's no, uh, no, that, opinions about that's, jumping. I think it should be. I go for it. I think everybody should be yeah. afraid to jump. I think like don't Take get me wrong. Like don't. <laughs> like there's there's obviously like a, a line. Like don't work at a company for two months and then leave. That doesn't look that's great. A, yeah. That's... Oh, that's a great but topic like, for another episode yeah, too. We should we should talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't just jump after a month. Uh, Where's the line? <laughs> but also, like, don't feel a... like you have to be it. Like, I've I've literally had friends who like they get at this job, they've been there yeah. for like a year or something, and they hate it. And they're like, I feel like yeah, I need to don't... spend another four years here, otherwise it'll look bad on my resume. And I'm like, no, you do not yeah. need to spend five years at a place before you can decide whether or not it's a good fit for you. Absolutely, a year should be more than enough to know if you're happy. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, you know, that's that's a whole year of experience that you didn't have before, so you can negotiate a higher salary the next, and the next. Yeah, place. that, and I think it, people are afraid that it's going to look bad on a resume. And I'm, no. I don't think I've ever been in an interview where that's really ever come up. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think that's I, that's I, not a thing anymore. Yeah, I think the people who are interviewing you are human beings who like have been in that situation themselves. Yeah, and they're willing to hear you out on. Absolutely. You know, if something doesn't look great time-wise, like resume or something like that. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that's uh, like you said. That's not really a, an issue, at least not in this industry. Uh, that's not something I've heard from recruiters uh, who, in recruiters who we talked to, and even on this podcast before, you know, they kind of expect it. Uh, oh yeah. And you know, it, it is it's natural and it's probably good at times, right? Like sometimes you want to see what else there is, so you know, go out there, take it, take a chance. Here's the thing: you don't necessarily have to leave your job. Like, while you apply for stuff, and you don't find anything you like, then it's like, okay, we'll just keep trying, right? But to each their own, obviously. But um, I definitely think that exploring and trying different things, especially the first few years of your career, is uh, pivotal. It's crucial for you to understand your position in this industry. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think we have any more questions. Um, you know, thank you so much. You you have been fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us about your experience. You know, I'm glad that we were able to get with you because, like we said earlier, you're you know, you're still a recent grad. You graduated last year, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Right? Yeah, I, after COVID, time yeah. to put the together. Mm-hmm. It's like a little over a year. Yeah, one long year since 2020. <laughs> yeah, but personally, I wanted to see your your point of view on this, right? Because I mean, I entered the industry like five years ago, six years ago. So it's been, it has changed quite a bit, especially with COVID and everything. Um, yeah. But no, thank, thank you so much. And thank you for, for touching so much on uh, freelancing, mm-hmm. right? That's definitely uh, something that we need to talk a little bit more about as an industry, uh, especially our pricing, especially how we treat our clients and, you know, how we treat ourselves. Well, I don't have anything else. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we are, like I said, thank you so much for joining us, taking time on a Sunday. 
and you know what you know if you anyone who's listening you have you know something that you can throw his way look him up on linkedin adam cross g-r-o-c-e correct yes sir thank you all right well thank you so much adam this was awesome um and you know we'll talk to you soon thanks adam thank you thank you thank you for for joining us today the add to houston amigos podcast is produced at radio lounge add to houston is a collaborative collective of young communication professionals age 32 and under who are looking to make a difference in the industry if you would like to become an amigo join us at add the number two houston.com you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at add the number two Houston. Thank you for listening.